Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, your regular guide sharing tools and expertise to build a life full of positivity and possibility. Here's your host, Russell Thackeray. So today I'm talking to Luke Amblett. Luke's got a really interesting background and uh, comes from the world of sport but has been involved in some really interesting things to do with men and personal development and such like. And I'm really looking forward to having a chat with him because I think he's got some really interesting stories that we can learn from. So, hi, Luke. How are you doing? Good morning, Russell. Thanks for having me, buddy. No problem at all. I can tell from your accent that you're um, a man from the northern end of England. I am. Very proud Yorkshireman. Okay. Whereabouts are you from? Halifax, just outside of Leeds. All right. Excellent. My brother-in-law's from um, Dewsbury. So, um, we've got some links to that area. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I'm from Newcastle, as you know, so uh, we always see the North, uh, so the Yorkshire people as the North Midlanders, so, you know, I like to get, let you stirred up early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Luke, tell me about yourself. Tell me, tell me, um, how, how did your career start? Because were you always into rugby? Tell me about it. Yeah, um, basically, the, the, my parents broke up when I was eight years old and had a bit of a problem at school with getting getting bullied and things like that and my dad Roy's a passionate rugby man he played for Bradford Northern as a kid and with his background and the circumstances he had no real way to get over there so with his mum dying at a young age he had to start going to work and help support his his, his younger brothers and sisters so rugby ended up being a um, something that he couldn't progress but something that he remained passionate about and then when I went through my, my time to struggle as a, as a kid he got me playing rugby as an outlet and it's something I took like a duck to water and slowly but surely progressed up the ranks to going to Salford and then I got bought by the world champions at the time, Lee Rhinos, and then ended up where I am now at my, my current hometown team, Halifax. Fantastic. So you say rugby was an outlet. What do you mean by that? Just it was like an escape. So, you know, everyone needs to have an escape, whether it be like yourself performing arts or whether it be music or drawing or going running to the gym. Everyone needs... When they've got times of struggle and escaping life, something that they can focus on that helps them just reset the mind where it just be going and meditating and having a bit of mindfulness or, yeah. you know, what whatever your thing is, everyone has their thing that I like to say and my thing was rugby, you know, it's not now, I play rugby uh, for a job now, that ain't my thing anymore really um, in terms of what I like to do to, to help me get through stuff. My, my new one is actually probably quite, quite the opposite, rugby. Um, is obviously about playing with a group of guys and, and running into a, another group of guys as hard as you can. Where my current escape I like to do is a red op, red op bath with a little tea light with um, some nice chilled out music on. So completely different, differing um, circumstances. <laughs> yeah, it's from one end, of, one end of the scale to the other. Exactly. So, so the bullying thing. Um, how did you cope with that? Because a lot of kids get bullied, don't they? At that sort of age. Yeah, um, it was a real difficult time, if I'm being honest. My parents broke up, I started comfort eating. We lived with my dad, which going back 20 years is, is unheard of, really, for two young boys to just live with their dad. Yeah. And, yeah, we like I say, I started comfort eating and I started going to school with a bit of a mask on, uh, obviously a hypothetical mask, you know, with this cheeky, chappy lad that, because obviously we're conditioned as, from being babies by, by everyone around us that, you know, we shouldn't be a girl, we shouldn't cry, we should be a man and... I guess I went in trying to be, to be brave, but inside I had a bit of turmoil and the bullying were real difficult. And then mum had a life-threatening car crash at the same time that's left over a multiple, multitude of mental health conditions from anxiety, depression to 
the more severe one, which is a need, which is non-epileptic attack disorder. Wow. You know, I think I think there's only fifteen thousand people here in the country on the planet that have this condition, and it's basically my mum drops and falls without any sign or sign signal or warning, and can break a cheekbone, jaw, knock her teeth out. She's got now living a bungalow, not allowed a bath. In case she has falls downstairs or in baths, you know, my mum's from an Irish background, and and my mum's always been life and soul about pies and you know real character, and you know that was sort of ripped out of this condition. But um, yeah, so all that growing up were, were difficult. But the rugby was what helped me. I went from school being this fat kid that had all this stuff going on to uh, rugby being the fat kid that he'd get ball and score a try. So I felt significance, I felt connection and love, which is obviously all part of. You know the, the needs of the personality, and you know looking back now, I probably didn't realise you know that at that time. But that yeah, now I've got a lot more understanding of of emotional well-being. That that's what helped me get through them tough times. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because a bit like me in the music business and you in sport, when you work with a team as well, you get structure, you get rules to live by, you get a good social group as well. And I guess in sport, in my world as well, you you sort of have to keep yourself clean, don't you? And you have to keep yourself fit and active and healthy and and like you said, focused. It gives you it gives you a way to live your life in a way, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. Yeah, like you say, you get told what to eat, um, what you can't drink, what you can, and and you know you get your body monitored, and you know it's good to have that structure. And everyone needs all the structure in their life, and that's what um, that's what it gives me really. Yeah. So I must admit, I always say if you've got kids who are being bullied, actually one of the things to do to give them a sense of self-identity is is allow them to express themselves a different way. Because sometimes kids are bullied just because they're different, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's uh, what I mean by everyone needs to have their thing. So some kids is writing stories about how they're feeling, some it's about drawing, some it's about um, playing sport, it's about playing an instrument. It's just getting them to feel their thing feeling it out, feeling it out in the world and having their way to offload because everyone needs to have a, have a way to offload and that's where I guess where, you know, what we try to encourage people to do with this, okay, I talk. Yeah. So you, so you progressed, and the way you described it is you progressed very seamlessly from one level of rugby to the next, to the next, to the next, to the very top top level. Was it a, is a straight line like that or was it a bit more bumpy than that? Oh, of course, yeah. So I, I used to just do um, things that, that I... I, you know, one of the most talented, I guess. I just, my philosopher was working harder than everyone else, and I used to go do like what classes, strange things now. So I'd go running on Christmas morning or New Year's Eve night, so no one else would be doing it. So, you know, there were, there were ups and downs all, all the way through um, your career, you know, with injuries and no select, you know, getting selected and things like that. And, you know, it plays its part, but, you know, it, I'm very fortunate with Rugby, you know, to play for Leeds and to play for Ireland, and um, yeah, I, I have enjoyed my career. So, in um, in the sporting world, how do you how do you train to cope with defeat? How are you train to feel? You know, how do you train to get over it to make the most of it? What strategies do you sports guys use? Uh, they're, in, they're the people that really um, teach us. Is you know, it's, I think emotional well being is very and mental health is a taboo topic still in rugby. And there's a lot being done to break it down. Um, for a variety of organisations, but it's still, you know, people don't understand from the stands the impact of injuries and defeats. Why it hasn't? Um, it is, a, you know, people have a poor performance. You know, people don't go out there and play bad or anything like that, and it, it does have its effect on people. Yeah. Do you find Do you find that there's days where your performance is impacted, but you don't know why? You know, you're just not at your best, but you've got no real idea why. 
Yeah, and, and that's going to be, you know, that, and that happens to everyone, I guess, in all industries. Um, in, with sport, it's probably magnified a little bit because of the crowd and the the, the the thing you're doing, you know, like, you don't go into an office job and a thousand people or ten thousand people watching you every move, do you? So, it's, it's slightly different and then you've got a team that's depending on you, so, yeah, it can often be difficult, difficult. And, and you often hear the talk in the football world about the, the fans are, you know, I mean, I know some professional, a lot of professional footballers, and they say the job would be great if it weren't for the fans in a way, because the fans can be really unpleasant. And you have to grow a thick skin, don't you? You do, yeah. It's, it's, it can be a ruthless guy at times, and if that's someone's life, if that's all they've got and they come every game to, to watch, I, the, people often don't look at the other person's perspective in life, in any walk of life, and, you know, the fans that go, they might not realise that that guy's had a real bad few days at home or, you know, you know, life's bad, he might have lost a loved one or stuff might not be just going his way and, you know, people don't see that, they just see that these people who they sort of class as superheroes should be performing at the highest level every week and it's not always the case, you know, everyone's human at the end of the day. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, because you played rugby league, do you think, because actually the sort of, um, the public perception of rugby union and rugby league is very different, isn't it? Yeah. It certainly is. I think the rugby unions are uh, a lot more educated, are they? You know, we, we're from working class backgrounds and rugby unions do have a, a lot of, a high level of education. I think they probably understand probably emotional well being a little bit more and I think they probably their players, you know you know, maybe they looked after better individual clubs and, and things like that. So but I guess that comes down to just uh, player welfare and that type of stuff. Yes. So, look, you talk very openly about your feelings, how you were with a child, and, you know, that's quite remarkable. Um, so, how did you learn this ability to be able to talk so openly about yourself? I think because when I, I did I did talk about what was going on, things got better, you know, and I've only told you, you know, a couple of things there, but there were a lot more that happened even um, within rugby. When I got let go by Leeds, I hit a bit of a dark point. I ended up getting um, locked up, spent a night in a cell, and... You know, there were a lot of bad stuff that happened. I was pushing people away, broke up my partner because I felt like I'd failed. And it was at that point that I made a, a decision. And we talk about resilience. My decision come was that everything that we're asking in my life was why me. And every time I asked why me, more bad things were happening. And I came up with this just two-word question. It was what's next. Right. So now in my life, everything that I use, no matter how big or small the problem is, I ask what's next. And the fear behind it is what can I do next to make this as positive as possible? I can't change the past. Um, I can't change what's been, but I can change what will come, and that's where it all came about, really, by that this "what's next" mentality. So, where did that come from? That uh, sat in the police cell. Oh, right. So you just literally but, started thinking to yourself, and these are the words that appeared to you, were they? Sat in a police cell, and it was as if it were like some sort of epiphany, and it just come. What's next? Is this is this it for you? You know, where I come from, Ovindon, it's a lot of my friends had already been to jail, and I'd got out of that by going to Leeds, where you know. You, Leeds were world champions at the time and your behaviour were mag um, magnified because it was just the, the club had the best image of any club and you know you had certain rules you had to do and when I got let go from Leeds I just you know I just I felt like I'd failed and I, I sort of just blew one night and got in some trouble and found myself sat in this police cell and I asked myself well, what's next Luke is this it for you is this it um, and the answer was no it's not uh, and then I started going and working with young people telling them about my journey and working with some businesses and some other organisations, talking about my journey and doing some 
emotional well-being workshops with them and you know, some of that I just realised actually this is this is sort of like my calling and as apt as that sounds to some people my passion were always rugby but then I realised actually my passion's always been people and helping people and, and that's what transcended through all this all this crap basically that had been thrown at me my passion really were people and helping people be the best versions of themselves right and, and a lot of people talk about that, don't they? That you're doing something about it, which is the difference between you and a lot of other people. So tell me, so tell me, tell me about Andy's Man Club. What's that all about? Yeah, um, tomorrow will mark a year, April fifth, that my brother-in-law took his life, and I'll set I'll set the scene basically for you. On the third of April, Andrew were at, were at my house, and we're having a laugh and joke. We're having a talking about what to buy an house and how I'm going to help him because I'd had a bit of experience with that and he went about they were going to travel with Thailand and he's there with his going two-year-old daughter and my two-year-old daughter and my little boy and my missus, his, his sister, and we're all having a laugh. Sunday morning he goes to play football with his old team, goes back, gets his daughter, goes to play gym with, again, his going two-year-old daughter, my going two-year-old daughter and my missus. Monday morning, oh, sorry, Sunday night, they all have Sunday dinner together. Monday morning, don't go to rope. Don't go to work. Buys a rope, and he's found dead Tuesday morning. Good God! No sign, no signal, no warning. And I remember getting a phone call, like it was yesterday. And obviously, we ago go to the day tomorrow that my, my mother-in-law rang me. I was here with me now, working away on Andy's man club. Um, and just said our Andrew is dead. God, that must have been a thunderbolt. Like no, I could have. Uh, I describe it as no matter what I've ever been through before, this the pain of this for like nothing I've ever experienced, and I put a brave face on all the time because that's what I've got to do now because I'm this face of this mental health movement, and but um, I I struggle myself, you know, from time to time with stuff, and you've got to act as brave, you know. I get a lot of calls each day and messages, but you know it's difficult. Um, but I had a decision. I were out just outside the, the family, I guess. Because I was sort of married into a family, or partnered into a family, mm. and I had to go pick his car up from where he'd left it. I had to ring his best friend, go tell the mother of his child, go and ring, tell his cousins. It sort of felt like I was picking, sweeping up the pieces. Yeah. And um, four days after I was driving, and I was sat there, I was and sat around, you know, angry, upset, going through the rain emotions, and I just thought that. The theory that I've been going around and talking about for years was BS. I just thought, it don't work. How can it work? You can't bring Andrew back. Yes. And then in that exact moment when I, I just clicked and thought, look, your whole theory of what's next is not changing the past, it's changing the future. And what you need to do now is create something in Andy's name. So I created, um, spoke to Andy's mum about him, came up with this concept to get men to go and talk, which was Andy's man club. And within... I had a plan, I put a post out within nine days and I plan to start his first group. The demand was so high that I started within three days and nine men turned up. A week after, 15 men turned up and then I started this OK Talk campaign and it's just obviously blown out of complete control. Yeah. It's got so much momentum, it's untrue, the people probably won't even be able to interpret just how, how big it's getting. So, I mean, I, I, I was in... Gibraltar, actually, funnily enough, and I heard an article, on the, and it was some sur- a survey done by Men's Health magazine that said something like, the majority of people that have suicidal thoughts are male, but they're m- least likely to talk about it, and certainly least likely to get any help. So it oft- so actually, it's one of the most hidden of all problems, isn't it? 
Oh, the most hidden of all problems, and it's the single biggest killer in men under 45, which is just That's absolutely it. staggering that I'm more likely to die by suicide than by cancer, heart attack, RTA. You know, I'm more, you know, in my age group, I'm more likely to die by suicide. So, so in, in the course of the work you've been doing, have you been able to, because this is how we actually got in touch, because I was very interested in this and wanted to put something together about male... Um, male suicide because I was I was staggered by those statistics and yeah. um, and the focus is always on the other gender isn't it because actually they're more capable of talking and we have a some, somehow it's not it's not accepted for blokes to talk about their feelings is it no because I categorise it or prove that thousands of men have now dealt with it in the last eight months that it comes down to three three reasons I men will will talk and one's burden so men don't want a burden burdening all the problems, they don't want to, they think everyone's got their own problems and they don't want to burden people with that. Another one is embarrassment, you know, we live in a, a lad culture where people are in WhatsApp groups and Facebook messengers and they don't want to show any, you know, they don't want to get embarrassed, they don't want to feel embarrassed to talk about it. And then the third one is um, weakness, you know, historically we were cavemen, weren't we? we used to go out in the morning, hug, bring me home, women would be getting fired and nurturing children and we'd grunt and that'd be it, but the world's evolved, you know. I even look back to my nana's days where my nana would be cooking stew or pie at home while granddad went working and then, you know, that, that was pretty much how it was. But the world's changed. Women go out to work every day now and the world's evolving, but men's emotions aren't kept up with that. But hopefully, slowly but surely, we'll be able to make a, a change on that. Just, as I always say, like the LGBT community, you know, it's becoming more acceptable to come out now, which is amazing. And that's what we want it to be with mental health, that it's acceptable to come out. Yeah, and, it, and actually the phrase mental health doesn't help it here at all, does it? Because it implies... The mental. Yes, exactly. And that doesn't help, doesn't it? It needs, it needs a better label, doesn't it? And actually calling it male suicide is a much better... It's a much better starting point, isn't it? Because at least it's real. Yeah, I just, I just think um, well-being in general, you yes. just need to be, um, you know, whether it's mind well-being or just well-being. Because I think as well-being is as body, spirit and mind, so... Think all three need to, you know, transcend and work, and and that's, you know, that's that's how we need to be focusing on. So, if if there are guys out there, or there are women who know guys out there who are who they think they need help or support, what's well, first of all, what signs should they look for? I think it's often difficult because with Andrew there was none. Yes, um, and I think that's why the It's Okay Talk campaign we started were about breaking that barrier down. So. What we didn't want to do was just have a club we wanted people to also know about it and have that awareness. But then, on the flip side, we didn't just want to have an awareness campaign or somewhere where you know, it's okay telling people it's okay to talk, but where can they go and talk? So that's what, hence why we started the clubs and you know. And and so, how's this different from someone like the Samaritans? Samaritans, you can ring twenty four seven, and they're amazing, but. That's one person I do a phone, you know. This is peer-to-peer -peer support. Guys come together and they help each other through a variety of problems. You know, we've got clubs all around the country now. We've got, like I said a minute ago, it's all eight-month-old. It's hard tomorrow, they say, yes, since Andy died. And we've got clubs in Hull, Lee, Halifax, Hebden Bridge, South Wales. Uh, we're just starting a club in Oldham, Witness, Warrington and Salford. And we've got one in Collingwood College, one in Newbridge College. So the, the clubs are growing beyond belief. And so, how, how, how do you fund these things? Or do, you, do you need help with that? They're completely um, self-funded at the minute. You know, we're, we're running a lot of goodwill. We're not, uh, we're going for charitable stairs, but 
the thing that we were very stubborn on from the beginning is that no one would get paid from Andy's man club. We wanted it to be completely every penny that has been raised goes into a cause, and that's why it has, you know, fortunate that Elaine um, is retired and his mum, so that helps. Denise, who comes in, she's also um, retired, so that helps. And then myself, obviously, with rugby my own business, I try, my plan is to try and enough in a couple of days working so I can spend three or four days on this for free. So then that's how, how we plan to keep this moving, really. I've got a variety of volunteers that help all across the country and there's facilitators at every group who've been amazing in being passionate about this cause and helping it, helping it grow. Mm. Well, I'm definitely, I'm definitely thinking that you and I should be having a conversation about this after after we put the phone down here. So I'd definitely like to get involved. I think it's a brilliant, a brilliant thing you're doing. Yeah, you know, we're trying and, um, to put you in perspective of the It's Okay to Talk campaign. Uh, the campaign that we started, we started, and I'll tell you a story behind it because um, obviously everyone's competitive with their partners, right? Yeah. And um, I remember saying to my missus that there were no, what you just said about the statistics, no one knew, I think it was a stat that 5% of people knew, or 20% of people knew that suicide was the single biggest killer of men. And under 45, so I came with this idea, take a selfie, and if you ever saw them, people taking selfies with OK sign. Oh, right, OK. I haven't seen yeah. that now. Yeah, so I took a, an idea to um, do a selfie with the OK sign, but we've had it in statistics and... It started off and, and no one had done one. My missus said she didn't think it'd work. And by that morning, uh, by that night, no one had done it. I'm going to go in bath and I'm ringing people, please do one so I don't look silly to my missus. <laughs> um, no one had done one. And by that morning, it started to give them momentum. And then by Friday, you know, Ricky Gervais had done one and Lab Bible. And then by four weeks, over 100 million people had done it. And it's now categorised as the biggest mental health movement there's, there's, um, or campaign there's ever been. So it's, it's nice that that's been done in Andy's legacy. So coming up to a year, from his death, it's nice to know that something's been done for him in his name. And and I guess it's hard to measure the success of what you guys are doing, but I'm imagining because it's hard to know everybody you talk to, how many people you sort of you know put you know turn away from the sort of suicide path. But you must you must have a view about how useful the groups have been. Halifax has had over 200 men use a group in eight months. Really? Um, we've not, and we've touched wood, we've not had one suicide of people come to our group, and we've had some very highly suicidal people come to the group, and we've not had one yet. So we're very fortunate in that sense. Um, as other groups have probably combined, you know, they'll be running as long, maybe best of, they're over 100 now, all groups combined, different people, so that's good. Um, so yeah, and I speak to people on a very regular basis, you know, that I don't advertise about, but speak to, you know, it ends up being coming the people want to message me and I know we've had a lot of people just message the page just saying that I won't ever come to a group because it's not for me but not as well you know your content that you've put out on your page has saved my life the It's Okay Talk campaign with hundreds of emails after that saying how it saved their life and they've now reached out for help so you know the point of this was never to save one life it was to half the rate of suicide in five years because there's 7,000 people a year to their life by suicide so we had a big aim to try half that rate um, and we've still got four years and two months to do that but we're fighting every day and that's what we'll keep um, aiming to do. And, and I guess you need volunteers, you need supporters, so people um, are interested whether well, they do just drop you a line or something? Yeah we've got an email address info at andysmancle.co.uk and we're just getting his website rebuilt, it's www.andysmancle.co.uk Brilliant. So, and as I say, if you if you if you know anybody and you think they they need a bit of help, just get on that website address and see what happens because that tends to be 
well, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's the as you say, it's hidden. It's that's the problem with something like this. It's not it's not like you know you're right about cancer because it's become so. It's almost like um, people openly talk about cancer now because it's like a club, isn't it? But this yeah, is, exactly. This is really uh, it's like a, it's like a movement underground, isn't it? It's a real problem. This one. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a movement. That's what we categorise it as. It's like Fight Club, you know. Yeah. Little Fight Club where all the film and men used to meet up, and so you saw like that people meet up, we have a brew, we have a chat, and then you see people in the street, and you give them a nod, and it's um it's really good actually. It's, it's, it's so powerful beyond belief. And I can like imagine. I said, I think we had thirty guys. And I can imagine at universities, on, I think a lot of kids, a lot of students at universities, find this trick tricky as well. So I mean, that'd be good for you as well. Because actually, they don't get a lot of support, surprisingly. Yeah, we've got got a lot of links to universities, and we're going to do some talks with them very shortly, which will be really good. Yeah. Um, so we did one over at Edge Hill University recently. So yeah, we're going to just keep pushing that. Um, and like I said, you know, it's it's hard because of how, how big it's getting to keep on top of it all. But we will um, we will keep it moving. Okay. Well, you also mentioned that you did other work as well, because that's how you fund Danny's Man Club. So so what else do you get up to then, Luke? Yeah, well, Andy's Man Club now it was originally funded um, in that manner, but now it's it's we've got enough donations for people to help it run because it doesn't cost a lot to run, which is is good. It's good. It's starting to cost more because there's more groups and there's more material needed. Mm. So, you know, the the whole point is if people do want to donate, they can, and it is hundred percent. Every penny goes into the actual cause, so it's not like a these are our name charities, but big charities where you. Put a pound in and it try appear every every pound goes to the actual cause. This is hundred percent goes to the cause. So right. if you put ten pound in, ten pound will go by, you know, thousand leaflets or whatever that may be, and then leaflets will get distributed out around areas where there's clubs and, and that's what we use it for. We use it completely and solely for that purpose. Right. Good. But and but but what other work are you doing? Because you said you're working in the corporate field, so what's what's oh, going yeah. on there? Yeah, so my, my business is around emotional well-being. I've been doing it for five years, which is why I guess it sort of works nicely for, for Andy's man club to have that structure of the positivity and the questions that we ask. So, yeah, my, my business is uh, emotional well-being and, and, and public speaking, really. I go around and do do um, talk to people. And, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing for around four or five years now, working with disadvantaged young people to schools, to businesses, colleges, universities. And I go in and do some consultancy work around our and we're also in prisons now, which is amazing. So, um, and I'm building that that side of what I'm doing up. So yeah, it's it's real busy. You know, it's hectic really to try balance it all in. But we're finding a way, and I've got an amazing team behind me, and I, and I couldn't do it without them really. And so, what do you? Because a lot of people use this term. It's some people think of it being very soft and fluffy, and other people describe it in different ways. But what do you mean by well-being? So I I look at. I've got six topics that I, I focus on with, with either businesses or schools and um, just to give you a, a, a brief overview is like stress, anger, awareness, general well-being from physical to mental well-being and how we look after his emotions. There's emotional well-being and the last one is trust, confidence and, and me because we call everyone we have is the topic is stress and me, anger and me and it's linking the two and showing people how they can use when they are when they are feeling angry to look for the triggers and to, to stop themselves getting angry or to escape to, as we talked about earlier, finding their thing that helps them get through the stressful times or the, the times of anger or the times of sadness and, and, and enjoying the times when they are happy. Yes. So would you say well-being is about happiness? Because a lot of people describe it as that, don't they? They say, you know, what is a happiness, wealth? 
Well, well-being is is if you flip it around, it's just being well. Right. That's what the best way to describe it is. It's being well. It's it's waking up in the morning and being happy with yourself. It's it's learning that bad times do come and bad times do go. It's you know I, I refer it to like um, the UK weather emotions that in the morning it'll be sunny, then it'll be snowing, then it'll be lashing down, and then it'll be sunny again. And that's just like the emotion you've got to learn to carry your sunglasses, but also carry your rain jacket because. You know, there's gonna be a point in day where you need to wear them sunglasses for the for the happy times and to enjoy yourself. And then there's gonna be times where you need to get that rain jacket on because it's gonna be gonna be um, raining or snowing. So um, and it's just learning to get out of that rain and snow as fast as possible and get back into that sunshine and it's giving people coping mechanisms to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it because if you don't carry the sunglasses, you clearly aren't expecting things to get better, are you? Exactly, and that's what we we do, and, and it's helping build that resilience in people and in young people and ensure that there you know no matter what you're going through there is a way out that there's a positive way out of what you're going through all right god look it's been fascinating talking to you so if people want to get hold of you or access your material or hire you whatever it might want to be how how do they get hold of you yeah for me it's just um www.lowcampbell.co.uk and then andy's man club was andy's man club.co.uk as well it certainly is yeah well look Fantastic! Uh, thanks. So I know we've struggled to get together, and it's been it's been worth the worth the wait because it's really been very useful. And um, I'm a real fan of what you do. And um, if there's anything else we can do to help you promote you, publicise you, you only have to ask. Um, I appreciate that. I really for, do. And for anybody else, you know, having spoken to you today, I can tell you're a really genuine guy, and you really know what you're talking about. And I think that's half the battle, isn't it? You've got you've got to have gone through some of this stuff to really have that that well, desire to want to do something about it. I think for me, what it is is, is I'm, I'm passionate about people, you know, and that's what 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 shows. And the other thing is that you can't you can't fake. Is I love life, you know, and I couldn't afford, you know, with reason why it upset me so much when Andy died is because I already do work around emotional well-being, and I didn't realise that. I knew the statistics around male suicide. I don't think they ever really hit me. I don't think they hit me until Andy died, and I realised, gosh, what a problem we've got. Yeah. What a problem we're finding ourselves in. And, you know, it devastated me. And I, I remember telling my six-year-old boy in the screech that he made when he knew he'd done Claude Lost were something that will keep me going forever now. This, You know, I've committed my life to this, to this whole thing, which is why, as I said, I, I try my best to... I've increased my knowledge. I read every day. I listen to uh, um, audios every day to learn more, to so I understand more so that I can offer more, you know, I can be more so that... My value is more because if my value is more for the two days I can work, it means I can give more to Andy's Man Club for, for free, which is what I want to continue to do for the rest of my life. And I don't want to get to a point where everyone knows that it's okay to talk. And, and you've said something really fascinating here because actually that sense of purpose you have is actually part of your resilience because you're going to be able to cope with adversity because you've got a very strong sense of where you're going, haven't you? And that's really important in life. Purpose is everything, and that's why I talk a lot about your purpose. And I think often in life people want to be pushed into something. And you know, I played rugby, and I probably saw it pushed into it in a way with my old man. You know, yeah. he, with his passion, and you know, and I, I did that. But I always had a passion. You know, I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, that's what I've always been from being five years old, going out cutting people's grasses for fifty p, going washing cars. You know, you name it, absolutely. That's what I've always been passionate about, um, and, and interacting with people. But my true underlying passion. One second. It proves it's live here, doesn't it? Yeah, my, my true underlying passion has always been people. 
and and that's what you know. And I think you know you don't need to get pushed into something. Uh, yet, Paul. All right, Andy. I can tell you. I, I know you. I know we slightly run over, and I appreciate your help. Um, yeah. The contact details will be on our website. Perfect. And we'll a, share that out as well. So I really appreciate you doing this today, Russell. No problem, and it's it's great to talk to you. You take care now. You too. Thank you, Russell. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening today. I hope we really got some value from that. I certainly enjoyed it myself. Remember, there's only other podcasts and with tools and techniques, different speakers and different resources available in this series of Resilience and Ravel, so please feel free to subscribe. Why not also drop across to Facebook and join our group, Resilience and Ravel, and join in the conversation. Also, if you wanted to whip over to iTunes and drop us a, a preview or a review, that would be fantastic. Thanks ever so much. You can get hold of us at qedod.com or at personalresilience.com where you can get hold of free ebooks, resources, some online courses and even some coaching. But whatever happens, I look forward for you joining us on the next edition of Resilience and Babbled.